So, Matthew, you want to do a show? I would love to do a show. Awesome. Yay. This is Control Structure, Episode 7, A Sexy Font, for January 2nd, 2013, with guest Matthew Petchel and host Andrew Bailey. And now, with a huge void of weeks. Yeah, how did you uh, spend your new year? Oh, I was uh, playing board games with my family. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, playing Skyrim. Cool. How far did you get? Uh, let's see. I I just downloaded some of the DLC, so I was going through that. Cool. And I also stumbled upon some areas that I haven't been to before. Mm. That I'm pretty sure are not the DLC. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. How far are you in the game? Oh, I've beaten the main quests and all that, so... You got the legendary items? Uh, pretty much I've sold those all for gold. Now I have, like, 200,000 gold. That's a lot of gold. What are you going to do with it? I don't think there is enough things you can do in the game with that. Hmm. Sounds like you're a farmer. You got a lot of gold. Yeah, but, uh... And then I also... Uh, looked online for a stream of uh, Times Square and found one. Cool. And uh, surprisingly, there was like no ads. So, hmm. so thank you whoever did that. And uh, I also coded a little bit on my blog as well. Hmm. So, Sounds like you had a fun night. Yeah, totally fun. Yeah, even though, uh, you know, the... You know, the old year's over and the holidays are over. Doesn't mean that the snow stopped. So, uh, let's see. Over here in Pittsburgh, I think we got another three or so inches. Mm. So, oh. how, how much uh, do you have up there? Oh, we actually have next to none now. Um, most of it's melted. We haven't had snow in a few days. It's gotten quite cold, though. Yeah. Uh, even though the you know even though I did not have the last show of the year, I will definitely have the first show of the year. So yeah, everybody remember it for the whole year. Yeah, because when you say like, oh, I had the last show last year, it sounds old. But the first show this year sounds current and awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, speaking of shows, did you catch that episode of the Universe? Yes, I did. Oh wait, you were on it, weren't you? I were indeed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it wasn't that. It was a kind of an odd show as far as the universe goes. Yeah, so yeah, I guess I guess we can hold off on the universe jokes for a, for a while. Well, just because the universe populated one specific day of a huge void of weeks, doesn't mean we can't make fun of it. I'll 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 wait at least two weeks. Wait, how's your new job going? Uh, it's going along pretty good. Um, I've pretty much just been uh, researching how the uh, platform operates and uh, you know reading up on jQuery quite a bit. Mm. So and uh, speaking of next week, I'll be uh, I believe I'll be in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, for a training session. That so. sounds pretty far away. So is your work paid to go there or? Uh, yeah. Cool. Paid vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, like, all expenses paid. It's gonna be sweet. So what kind of expenses can you charge? Uh, well, parking at the airport, uh, plane tickets, uh, hotel rooms, I guess. You get, like, food, or...? Uh, I sure hope so. Mm, cool. Like, can you say, like, oh, you forgot your work laptop and have to buy a new work laptop for and use that as expenses? Uh, I'm not sure, and I definitely won't test that. 
Oh, because this is like your first week with the company, isn't it? Or not first, but... First month or so. Yeah, you don't want to rack up a huge bill right away. Although the president does say that we are due for uh, new laptops, though. But how how would I know that? The oh. uh, the laptop I have now totally uh, is better than the uh, system I had at my last job. Mm. Cool. My last job seems to have been stuck in 2006. Yeah. A lot of places are. I found yeah. out that our police department is uh, stuck using Windows still. And a bunch of Dells from 2000. Well, I think pretty much everyone is stuck using Windows. Yeah, but XP and stuff, it's kind of old. Speaking of which, uh, my mom, uh, one of her jobs is uh, at a massage parlor. And uh, she's like, oh, the uh, computer here is like kind of crap. And the the owner wants you to come by and, you know, clean it up a little bit. And uh, my mom had mentioned to her that Andrew's probably going to come and say that this is a piece of crap. So I get there and find, you know, that it's not a piece of crap. I was, like, trying, kind of expecting a Dell from, like, 2005, Pentium 4, Windows XP. Mm-hmm. But it was actually, like, an E-Machines with Windows 7 and a recent AMD chip in it. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, so it's not crap. It's cheap, but not crap. Do E-Machines still make computers? Uh, apparently they do. Uh, they, my local uh, retailer doesn't stock them anymore. Uh, they've been bought out by Acer, I believe. Ah, okay. Because uh, I was like looking around and like trying to uninstall like all this crapware on it, and I came across this one little thing, and uh, I was like, okay, what is this anyway? So I opened it up, and what it is is just an information card that grabs like all the like model and serial numbers from the machine, and I'm like. This is actually kind of useful. <laughs> it was the first OEM installed program that was actually useful that I've ever encountered. Hmm. Cool. Anyways, not a lot of things happened uh, in the tech world, but uh, enough to make a podcast at least. Mm-hmm. That indeed. But uh, we'll not dive right straight into technology news, and uh, we'll just uh, say that the U.S. government has gone bankrupt again, that the debt ceiling has been reached. So we are essentially living on, uh, well... I would say borrowed money, but we've been living on borrowed money for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like, everyone's predicting, like, uh, economic uh, travesty and turmoil and all that. But I wasn't really following it that much, but then you showed me the article, and they still have another two months to get it right, even after they reached the limit. So, well, that's uh, <laughs> essentially the Treasury raiding all the cookie jars mm-hmm. that they can. So, um, at least I can still make my rent, and, you know, I still have money to feed myself, so that's good. Yeah. So, um, did you hear about, um, some JPEGs this week? Uh, depends. I've seen a lot of JPEGs this week. Have you seen me some JPEGs in high quality, though? And loading quickly? Uh. You're never gonna see that. Yeah, that's kind of oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that uh, progressive JPEGs 
uh, are actually quite a bit better in terms of like loading speed and uh, actually file size. Yeah, a lot better. So it seems that uh, if a JPEG is over 10 kilobytes, uh, it's going to be smaller uh, most, the vast majority of the time, if it's uh, over 10 kilobytes, it'll be smaller if it's progressive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking of speed, uh, there's a uh, an article here that uh, you know asks if uh, you know, like uh, when you go around on the web, that if when you go to a new page, if the page stays on and then like immediately loads with the next page, like when it's ready, or if the page clears off the screen and then loads the next page. So, like, there would be, like, a few-second gap uh, between. It's kind of hard to explain, and it this article took me a couple of reads to go through to actually get what they're saying. But it's, uh, you know, would should you be looking at something while the next page is loading, or should you be looking at nothing while the next page is loading? What do you think you should be looking at? I don't really care so long as it gets here quickly. Mm. I'm supposed to have your super fast internet, so it always happens quickly. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. Um, so this guy was writing about um, how he believes that if you get a new device or a new phone or something and you have to read um, a walkthrough or go through a tutorial on how to use the UI, they blew it. Like, they did it wrong. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I just kind of disagree with that. Um, because like, I still send documentation when you buy like a new iPad or something. Like I still show you how to use stuff. Yeah. Um, so in the uh, this article essentially says like you can get so minimal that it actually starts to get harder to use your app. Mm-hmm. And like especially with uh, like touch gestures and stuff that it's not uh, intuitively obvious. Like if you should like swipe left, up, down, whatever uh, mm-hmm. to like get to a certain functionality. Yeah, I found this other article here saying uh, about uh, you know like about technology and the such that uh, you know the apply technology and stir model, and that uh, you know people in the technology industry think that if you throw enough people at a problem that you can get it solved, and uh, which sometimes is okay, but time and time again the human interaction is being left out. It's being replaced by screens, buttons, and automated responses. So, like, even if uh, you, you know, have this mapping application, that people will still argue about what's the best way to get there. And, you know, even though a restaurant, you can, you know, book a reservation online, people will still call anyway. Weird. So, and, you know, just a little reminder that information technology is about people, not technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you need a, need a first word problem solved? Yeah. Uh, not too often. Mm. Well, uh, Silicon Valley has got you covered. Um, so, this guy made a little website where um, you can just scroll through a bunch of suggested dialogue, like... Um, like, let's say you have, um, what's your problem? Uh, it doesn't actually do that. I was going to pick the first one. Um, so if you, if you have, like, $36, it can bring you to app.net. Um, and you can get a um, year sub- subscription to that. But they got some pretty funny ones and other things. Yeah. And uh, I almost uh, took a drink out of the microphone. <laughs> That's uh, that's something. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, so, uh, speaking of problems, have you ever had a disc problem? Yes, I have. Uh, Have you ever tried to use RAID before? Oh yes. Uh, RAID five or six? No, I have not. Okay. Well, uh, see. Uh, I found an article explaining how multiple disk failures happen, uh, like especially like during raid builds and stuff. So, uh, like suppose you have 
you know, a seven disc raid five set or something. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, like one failure will happen, you know, somewhere on one of these drives. Uh, let's see. The example given is like almost 11 terabytes of total usable space in this array. So, you know, what if a disk failure happens in an area of the disk that's not used? Uh, so, like, the uh, RAID controller won't pick that up. And, you know, you can continue using it because, as far as everyone knows, it's okay. So you go along and, uh, you know, errors keep on happening until an error happens in the data that you use. So then that'll trigger a rebuild of the array. But then, by that time, you could have ten or so errors in sections of the disks that you aren't using. So, like, before you know it, like, everything is gone in this array. Yeah. And I've, uh, you know, also heard that, uh, you know, if especially if you have, like, the uh, same um, run of drives in a RAID set, that that's kind of bad. Because, uh, you know, if, if one of these disks start to fail early, that's they probably will all start to fail early. That's kind of weird, though, but it's cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, let's see, you know, everyone, the consensus out there is that uh, RAID is kind of a, like a dead old technology that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we should be moving away from that. So, and uh, I really can't wait for... uh, I think it's uh, BTRFS, the uh, one of the uh, recent file systems in uh, Linux. That uh, I'm hoping that uh, they will have, you know, sort of like RAID five six support. So like you can have multiple drives of uh, like differing size, sort of like how storage spaces uh, is in Windows. Mm. Yeah, I've always had been have good luck with Linux and RAID. Like, like the drivers on my motherboard never um, worked on Linux, so I had everything uh, mirror uh, rated, but I could never rebuild the array because it, you know, could never access stuff on the motherboard. Like I had the the RAID card right on it. Yep. Yeah. So, um, if if you want to buy like a hundred thousand micro SD cards, how do you know if they're any good? That is a good question. How do you figure that out? It's really hard, apparently. Um, there's, a, I guess, on the market when you buy a, a lot of stuff, it's a lot of the times every like every manufacturer builds them a little differently, and you just gotta watch out for those because if you buy a thousand of them, um, like this guy always checks a few of them, um, and sometimes some of them are just fake and they don't run. Yeah, and uh, I believe that he uh, mentioned like he has this rather involved uh, testing procedure that involves writing a whole lot of random data, like filling up these cards with completely random data, and then doing a hash check over the entire thing. Yeah, because I guess some of them, like, um, even though they say they're like four gigs, you can only write stuff to the first gig. Yeah. Yeah. What a ripoff. Yeah. So... uh, well, this is uh, sort of a detour uh, in that uh, you mentioned that you had played uh, board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever played Scrabble? I have, and I hate it so much because I can never build a word more than four letters. Uh, yeah, let's see. The uh, I pretty much included this article because uh, uh, like, it's the game that I kind of hate to play. Uh, like, I was... Uh, like the entire family, you know, back in the day, you know, me, mom, and dad uh, would play Scrabble uh, pretty frequently, like at least once a week for a while. And essentially, like me and dad just, you know, played it so competitively that uh, kind of drained all the fun out of it. Um, so the uh, the frequencies, uh, the frequency and uh, the score of the Scrabble tiles are based off of, like, the front page of the New York Times, supposedly. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, especially that was uh, back in, like, 1938 or so. Uh, 
like a really long time ago and you know of course language has changed since then and we can actually do this uh like scientifically uh so this guy he uh like goes through uh i forget what he says exactly what it goes what he goes through but he comes up with a different distribution and a different uh uh score values for each of the tiles mm-hmm. uh like for instance z and uh, I think you said J were like overvalued, but uh, C and V uh, were undervalued. Yeah. So. I, I never really got that game. So yeah, Scrabble needs an update. Hmm. Like, would it still be a board game, or? Yeah, the like the still the same, you know, rules and stuff. Just the scoring would be different. Okay. Well, I guess you can change that with a Sharpie yourself. <laughs> I suppose. I would Sharpie over my Scrabble set. Because I can never get the right letters. Oh, um, so, Amazon. Uh, so basically on December 24th, uh, their ABL servers um, had a major problem, and... It lasted quite a long time, and so they wrote a huge article describing um, what their teams are doing at each time, because a lot of their customers got pretty angry at them. Yeah, like Netflix, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, a lot of people depended a lot on them. Um, but so basically, they just apologized to all the people, saying, please don't leave us. Well, I guess, well, how would you leave a company when you're that embedded into them? I don't know. You could always go off to, I don't know, like, the Windows Azure, whatever they have, or you might look into Google App Engine, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, one of the uh, major concerns about cloud computing is that you no longer control all, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So. But uh, then again, if you are the uh, cloud provider, you have a lot more stuff writing on you. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I don't think we'll have a lol Apple uh, section, but uh, I guess this will be as close as it gets. Uh, Janelle Hoffman, uh, a mom of a 13-year-old son, uh, gave uh, gave her son a 18-point contract over an iPhone. And, wow. Yeah, pretty much, uh, you know, says... Uh, like, don't, uh, you know, text or, or email or say anything to anyone that you wouldn't say out loud with them in the room. And, like, all these other really, uh, really good ideas about actually using a phone. Because I can't tell you how many douchebags I run into with iPhones or just any phone in general. And, uh, like, especially at Subway, even, like, uh, uh, you frequent Subway? They sell green things. Yes, and uh, I tend to go there, like, pretty much every day. Really? Yeah. Oh. And, like, even though there is a notice on, like, the uh, glass saying, you know, please don't use your cell phone while, you know, placing an order, people still do. Wait, they're on their cell phone while they're telling the people what they want? Yes. How does that work? Uh, I'm amazed that it does work. And I ha- haven't quite figured it out. And, uh, like, I remember this uh, one time that, uh, you know, I was already in line, and this douche comes in talking on a cell phone. And, you know, I go through, you know, do my order and whatnot, sit down. And, uh, you know, I look back, and, you know, he's still on his phone. And I, you know, sit down and start eating my sub, and he walks out still on his phone. Hmm. And, uh... Uh, you know, of course, you know, people driving while talking on their cell phone. Yeah, I always make sure to keep my phone in my cassette tape player. Yeah. So and, save a spot for it. And, you know, what kind of annoys me is, like, people are at a, especially at a left turn, you know, because left turn lights aren't really, uh, uh, you know, a long light. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I give people, like, about two seconds before I honk my horn a little bit. Uh, one, if they're like fumbling around or if I, you know, know they're on a phone. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I went, me and Ryan um, went to the same high school, and so we rode the bus together. There was this bus driver who was writing down her social security number from her boyfriend because she needed it to fill out insurance with her little kid. Like, she, bus drivers are allowed to have their children with them uh, after school. And so the kid was tugging on her his mom's arm, wanting her to read. She was making a left-hand turn while writing something down on a scrap piece of paper on the steering column, and it was just amazing. Hmm. Yeah, she was the fastest driver we ever had. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, um, back in 1976, um, this guy named Peter was able to get the Queen of England on the internet. Um, oh, wow. He was demoing how the internet worked to her. And there's a photo attached to it, and it's just very funny to see, like, old fonts, old computers, and just old things. Yeah. So, you know, like, especially growing up, it seems like I was, uh, you know, came along well after the party had ended. And, you know, you know, a lot of fundamental computer technologies came about, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. And like in the 90s, all of this was still new. Yeah. I'm like, gee, gee whiz, where was everyone? Mm-hmm. They were probably all like getting drunk or high or something. Yeah. And, uh, well, up until recently, this, uh, this network really didn't have a science show. Uh, but uh, I'm going to branch out a little bit and uh, say that there will be a comet coming. Like, a really uh, has a chance to be uh, pretty bright. Cool. What, what day is it coming? Or? Uh, it'll be about a year from now. Mm. So, have uh, plenty of uh, fair warning uh if this does become something really great. I think it's a little cold. Sam's definitely going to do a show at least once per year. Hopefully. Yeah. So, thank you for notifying us. Because Sam whenever will. Yeah. And uh, so it looks like the uh, calculated orbit will uh, bring this comet to less than a million miles from the sun. Hmm. Cool. So it's uh, definitely going to get up close. Yeah, I have to look forward to that. Yep. Um, so, um, Joe Biden is uh, now responsible for open sourcing email encryption. And uh, also, I guess Al Gore had also invented the internet. Or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, this, uh, this post is from 2008, so it still says, like, VP elect uh, Joe Biden. But mm-hmm. uh, this... Uh, the relevant uh, facts come from like January 91 when uh, Senator Biden added a paragraph to a Senate bill saying like everything must be in plain text. And uh, the guy making PGP, you know, knew about this and decided to like hurry up and get it out there and open sourced. So like people were, would be encrypting email before this law took effect. Yeah. So that's interesting. I uh, have a story here from uh, like the late 80s, early 90s about what happened at Sun uh, leading up to the creation of Java. And uh, this this is really a really long story. I've made my way through almost half of it. And it uh, goes on and talks about how, uh, excuse me, how Sun Microsystems was developing a a uh, window system called uh, News, and uh, you know, it talks about how Sun was just being bullheaded and not uh, being, you know, uh, not doing open standards, and uh, about how this uh, news system absolutely sucked, and uh, I believe James Gosling appears several times, and uh, the uh, the guy writing this. Uh, was actually working there, but he left and went to Next. And, uh, like, he had uh, been looking at, like, all these things that Next was doing. Uh, Next being the uh, the company that Steve Jobs founded uh, after he left Apple. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, he, he was looking at this and saying, like, oh, yeah, like, they're, like, doing some really good stuff. So, and that's pretty much as far as I've read uh, currently. But, uh... Like uh, he he did mention that with the uh, uh, with the surrendering of you know this news system 
about how they, uh, you know, that paved the way for them to open up Java later. Cool. Um, it's kind of a weird story. This is about these two old engineering guys um, just talking about the biggest projects they've ever built and stuff. And so one of the guys was explaining how um, it took him like seven years, but he built one of like the greatest bridges ever. He, he had to hire um, a team of engineers, and he studied the land for two years and spent another five years developing this stuff. And um, like it was his big achievement in life. And I guess the second guy... Um, said that him and a friend went through a rope across a gorge and um, tied it between two trees and there were two villages, uh, one on each side of the things and um, I guess he was able to connect the two people, or the two villages and like over time this bridge got uh, more uh, advanced mm-hmm. you know like it suddenly became wooden and then stone and then steel yeah like the actual uh, uh, landmark of a successful bridge. Like mm-hmm. people were actually using it. So, and then the first one went silent. And it's like, oh yeah, my bridge got demolished because, like, no one wanted to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then some bastard threw a rope across the gorge a few miles down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this happens all the time in uh, IT. That uh, you know, it seems that the uh, the crappiest solution uh, wins all the time. Yeah, whatever you can get up fast works. Yeah, so I hear that you like Guild Wars. I do. Uh, and Guild Wars too. Turns out I uh, found some stories uh, from the inside about uh, like how they actually made and tested this thing. Really cool. I have no idea. How did they make it? Uh, yeah, it's a really, a really interesting story. Um, let's see. I believe it starts with like the first Guild Wars and how they simulated uh, user load on their servers. And uh, you know, mind you, that uh, most of the guys who did Guild Wars were also at Blizzard way back when. Mm-hmm. So like they'll they'll talk about like Diablo and uh, Starcraft and. Uh, so, like, in other words, these are people that essentially made Battle.net. Mm. So, you know, it goes through and, like, uh, how they, uh, you know, tested real users without really having real users on their servers. And, uh, like I uh, mentioned, uh, you know, back in the day when uh, AMD released their Opteron uh, server chips and that they uh, really liked uh, the performance of those. Mm. And uh, the second article... Uh, mentions uh, this one bug in StarCraft that this guy was uh, pretty adamant that it was uh, like Microsoft's problem because that's whose compiler that they were using at the time. So as it you know turns out that uh, you know Microsoft's development team is uh, pretty responsive, and uh, uh, the guy at Microsoft you know said, "Wait, that's your bug, not ours." Uh, so then it fast forward to uh, Guild Wars and uh, how this guy essentially uh, wrote a module that uh, stress tested the hardware and like ran this thing about 30 or 50 times a second. And, uh, you know, on these 1% of machines that had problems that, uh, you know, even if you have a million users and the failure rate is maybe 1%, that's still 10,000 users wondering what in the world's going on, uh, which is still too many. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like, whenever this module crashed or uh, found a comparison that, you know, wasn't supposed to be that way, that uh, it would close down the game and uh, go to a hardware failure page. Hmm. So uh, I guess that's uh, that solved their problem. Cool. Yeah. Um so you know how uh, about a few months back, uh, Linux kernel 3.6 came out? Yeah. Um, everybody was happy with it. I guess it was running pretty stably. Um, nobody really noticed that there was any flaws with it. Um, but I guess in how the kernel did their scheduling things, um, like it was trying to optimize how it um, switched processes between the CPUs on like multi-threaded things. Um, it, 
something goes wrong sometimes, and it really messes up with some SQL stuff. Yeah, so uh, uh, Postgres, uh, my favorite database, um, I got an article here about how the kernel 3.6 almost broke Postgres. I say that in massive sarcasm quotes because it still ran fine, it just ran about 20% slower. And uh, the architecture of Postgres uh, is uh, similar to, I forget what the uh, the common fork of Apache is, but it essentially uh, forks a lot of processes, and that's like how it gets its job done. So uh, if uh, a little change happens in the uh, operating system uh, scheduler, uh, that can make a really big impact. Hmm. Cool. So, uh, speaking of Postgres, I uh, have a story here about uh, uh, how Braintree uh, moved from uh, MySQL to Postgres. So, and uh, seemed like Braintree was having uh, problems with uh, uh, like their deploys getting longer and longer, about how their schema was changing, and that took a uh, quite a long time. But uh, uh, that was with uh, MySQL, and they. Uh, found out that Postgres was quite a bit better for their needs. Mm. Cool. I have uh, yet another story here about how uh, Lanyard uh, moved to Postgres as well. And I believe uh, how they uh, you know, also moved uh, to Amazon Web Services as well. Mm. Uh, and also five things you did not know about Postgres and uh, also how it uh, completely, uh, you know, kicks the crap out of uh, MySQL uh, because uh, Postgres is essentially, uh, you know, it is a free database, but it can also go head-to-head against, uh, like, big enterprise uh, databases like Oracle, uh, SQL Server, and I think even DB2. That's pretty fancy. Yeah. And then uh, did you hear about JavaScript? I heard it's the language of the future. Uh, It is. Uh, especially uh, in my new job, uh, you know, I'm not uh, really programming Java at my new job. Uh, the uh, even on the server side, that it's essentially like some dialect of JavaScript. So JavaScript is the future. And then, yeah. so that's the article about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And uh, you know, I'm also uh, picking up you know stuff like jQuery. So. Yeah, I heard Ryan really hates that one. Guess it rivals Mutools. Anyways, I'll tell you something that I love. I love Postgres, as uh, you may have uh, figured out. Yeah. So, yeah, it has uh, quite a few uh, cool features. Uh, you know, like really uh, stuff that you should find more in uh, enterprise uh, databases that you'd expect to pay, you know, thousands of dollars for, uh, but for free. Mm. So, it's, you know, open source and all of that. So, and, uh, you know, it's not derided as much uh, by the uh, uh, database administration community as MySQL is. Hmm. Why is that? Simply because MySQL does terrible things to your data. Uh, Hmm. Whereas if you try to do the same thing in Postgres, it'll throw errors and stuff. You know, it's like, why are you doing this, you idiot? That's how it's helpful. Yeah, and that uh, five things you didn't know about Postgres uh, essentially goes over a few of those things. Uh, uh, that uh, video essentially uh, shows the guy, you know, doing like the same things in both uh, both systems, and about how you know Postgres essentially protects your data. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah. So.
and I guess I'll uh, go over some uh, feats. I did upgrade my blog. I redeployed it. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, so uh, one of the things I did not mention uh, last time is that it has an automatic backup feature. Uh, in that, you know, granted I use Postgres and this database is all, you know, yay complex and, you know, like really feature rich. Um, you know, I, you know, from a programming perspective, you know, I'm more of an application uh, side developer. So I kind of view the uh, database as something that holds your data and doesn't really do a whole lot more than that. And uh, I have this really neat function that allows me to dump all the data out of my blog. So I can, uh, like, it essentially just goes into a zip file with, uh, like, the RSS of, like, all of my blog posts and comments, uh, along with all the files and images that I've uploaded to it, that gets down into this nice, convenient zip file. Uh, and, uh, like, if I, you know, decide to completely reformat my server, I can just toss this zip file back at it, and it'll essentially fill up my blog the way it was. And, uh, hmm. I have this, you know, running uh, nightly. So, you know, there's like a zip file for like every day. Mm -hmm. So the uh, thing... Do so you ever delete the old one or...? Just... I, I haven't gone back there yet. So, okay. and like right now, like those dumps are not even a mega and a half. Oh, okay. So it's uh, not really filling up that fast. Okay. So, you know, not only do I have my... Uh, you know, my real production uh, instance, I also have, you know, a virtual machine that I develop in, you know, for my development environment. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want to have backups of both. So if I have like two files of the same name, it's kind of hard to tell which one that they go to. So I uh, made an improvement that like actually names the file the, uh, the same way that the actual, you know, environment is named. Hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, it seems that uh, Ryan is uh, just loves to give me feedback, and I'd love to hear everyone else's feedback too. Uh, so just go to the nexus.tv and. Hey, this is Andrew coming to you from outside the realms of this podcast. As it turns out, that during the recording of this very podcast, Ryan changed how this is done. So, go to the-nexus.tv and click Contact, and Ryan assures me that all the stuff will be done behind the scenes, and I'll get your message. If you click the show as control structure. And now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast, already in progress. Of which, uh, Ryan did have some comments about the previous uh, episode, and that, uh, I mentioned that, uh, if we are all uh, ethereal entities or something. And he would like to remind me that Sam is an astral entity, but I don't think those two things are the same. So, and, uh, you see, he uh, did uh, make a few comments there about the web fonts, which, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think, uh, you know, web fonts are pretty cool. And, uh, like actually fonts in general. And uh, have you heard of this guy called Steve Madison? I have never heard of him. What does he do? Uh, he's a font designer that uh, uh, he designs fonts uh, that are seen almost everywhere nowadays uh, if you're remotely connected to a technology uh, like a Droid Sans. Uh, let's see, that, that one may not be uh, used as much anymore because... Uh, you know, it's the uh, font of Android. I believe it was used up until about Ice Cream Sandwich. Uh, he also mm -hmm. made uh, Open Sans, which is uh, quite common in the uh, Linux community. Um, and uh, perhaps uh, his uh, uh, well-known uh, font is called Seago, uh, which is seen pretty much everywhere on Windows. It's pretty much the default uh the default font with Windows and, uh, you know, Windows 7, Windows 8, and uh, Windows Phone. And, uh, see, and, uh, so I also like, uh, you know, fonts uh, to customize because I, you know, I'm a programmer 
and the default font in a lot of IDEs is Courier, uh, which, you know, I guess is okay for a moment. But, uh, you know, it really, really doesn't, uh, you know, have much of a personality. And, uh, you know, there, there are more readable fonts. So, you know, I began to look around and uh, found this one call- font called uh, Deja Vu uh, Sans. Uh, that the uh, monospaced form of that looks pretty nice. And I believe I have that on my blog. And, uh, you know, I used that uh, as like my monospaced programming font for years. Uh, but then I uh, started looking around again and I found this other uh, font called uh, Cosine. And Cosine. Yes, uh, you may uh, recognize it. It's the uh, font of uh, of this very show. Uh, it's the uh, it's the album art. And oh, it uh, is. It is. We use Gregorian. Yeah, and uh, so I dug around a little bit, and you wouldn't believe that Cosine is another Steve Madison font. Really? Yes, this man knows how to make a sexy font. Hmm. Does he charge people to use his fonts, or...? Uh, sometimes. Uh, he, uh... I believe he actually... Uh... I forget the name of it, but he actually split off from the, uh, type foundry that he was a part of and established a new one. And, uh... He was doing that for a few years. And, uh... He... Uh, I believe he might have actually been bought out by the company that he left, uh, which is kind of weird, but uh, he's uh, now in a more respectable position there. But, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the the Seago, uh font uh, it was uh, actually commissioned by Microsoft, and uh, I believe Droid Sans was uh, commissioned by Google, but Google was nice enough to let everyone use it for free. Uh, you can find it on uh, Google Web Fonts, and I mm. I kind of like uh, to look around Google Web Fonts occasionally uh, because you know you can you know use that uh, pretty much on any website that you want. So you know, of course, those are all free. And sounds uh, good. Yeah, some uh, some of the fonts he does, uh, you can use them like that. Other others, not so much. So, and I also have uh, uh, this YouTube video here that uh, goes on for like an hour or so, just him doing a presentation on you know various fonts and uh, you know how how what makes a readable font. And uh, he uh, kind of rips on Apple a little bit, and that it seems that uh, Apple uses uh, Helvetica and Lucidia like everywhere, but doesn't give like real. Uh, thought into the rhyme or reason or purpose of how they use them. Yeah. You want to start making your own fonts for your website? I don't know how to make a font. Hmm. So it seems that, uh, you know, these uh, Steve Madison really knows how to make a font and I'd rather use his. Hmm. So, you know, I, every, every so often, like I'll, you know, try out a font and, uh, you know, uh, mess around with my CSS a little bit and like see how it looks. Uh, but yeah, I seem to have settled on a nice uh, combination with, uh, let's see, I, now that I mentioned it, I probably should uh, try out Cosine as my uh, monospaced font on my site. Uh, but the uh, main body text is uh, Open Sans and the headings are uh, in Questrial. Hmm. So, cool. Yep. Anyways, uh, you can uh, find me on my blog at theandrewbailey.com, and you can also find me on LinkedIn under uh, linkedin.com slash in slash theandrewbailey. Okay. And uh, I believe you have a blog somewhere? Yes, I do. It's uh, blog.matthewputchell.com. I use HTML5, by the way. Uh, I mean, uh, PHP 5.4. That doesn't run. So, but you, do you still use HTML5? Um, a little bit. Um... Like, um, I was, Opera has this little thing where they can, because they um, designed a bunch of things with calendars and other things. Like, they have a little section on, or somebody wrote a blog about how Opera um, had some cool HTML5 things, and so I played around with it a little bit. I forget where I posted it, though. Um, like, it's just, it was just me playing with it, and then I uploaded it in the end. Yeah. 
you know, I, I kind of like uh, how Opera, you know, is uh, paving the way, you know, with uh, the alternative input formats. Which is really cool. Yeah, like they have like a nice, nice neat calendar control. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm you know, sort of anxious for like all the other browsers to catch up with them. Yeah. So. I think Chrome might, but I don't think anybody else will. Yeah, you know, Firefox is, uh, you know, Mozilla is too busy, you know, optimizing their uh, JavaScript engine and, uh, you know, figuring out, uh, let's see, I forget what what in the road I uh, said that they were doing last week, but, uh, oh yeah, making video codecs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're too busy doing that to uh, really focus on, you know, improving their input fields, so. Yeah. Oh, well. So, I guess that's uh, all for this week, so I guess I might see you in uh, two weeks or so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to your show. All right, so uh, have a good one. And you have a fun business trip. Thanks. <laughs>